So the whole time in the Old Testament that God is interacting with his people, he's, uh, he's had a, a bit of a back and forth with them in, in w- where God does good things and then the people do bad things and then God just keeps keep doing good things. Now, the people's bad things often, they, they get punished for those things. They go away. They get put in captivity. They are, um, they are just in trouble predominantly. And then God just lets them off the hook, which is something you're probably used to. You know, it's something you're, you've experienced quite often is God letting you off the hook. And it's also probably something you've experienced, um, how, how to, getting on the hook. Maybe you've done a lot of that where you are not quite the best person. Now, I don't want to make any assumptions about any of y'all. But um, y'all are awful. That's a joke. That's a joke. Um, but, you know, in the end, like our instincts, our, um, our brokenness can really uh, affect us in negative ways. And then God just keeps showing up. God is just always there, always willing to seek a relationship with us. When God created Adam and Eve, and this is remember, I don't know if you remember the beginning, but that was the beginning of both the story and the beginning. But God created Adam and Eve, and He said, this is good, this whole place is very good. And He was in relationship with them. And then, they opted out, and He wasn't in relationship with them any longer. And God constantly had to seek after People to chase down people. He had to go. God went to Abraham. Do you remember? God, Abraham did not come to God, volunteering his services. God goes to Abraham and says, "I'm going to do something, and you better be willing to help me." Abraham was in Babylon when this happened. He's in a place. Well, what is? In our part of the story now, it's what was Babylon. It's Ur. The Chaldeans owned it at that time. They owned Babylon. And they, they, he, he called him. He said, let's go to Israel. And they went to Israel. And then they went to Egypt. And Abraham lied to Pharaoh a couple times about um, his wife being his, actually his sister. Because that's kind of just a half lie. Because his wife was actually his half-sister. I don't know if you read that part, but it is. And so Abraham and Sarah, he says, well, you, you do your sister role here. And the Pharaoh decided to marry Sarah. And Pharaoh got in trouble for it from God. And so they, they eventually go back to Israel. And then they make their way back to Egypt. And then they make their way back to Israel. And then they make their way to Babylon. And then they make their way back to Israel. And that's where we are now in the going and the returning of the people of God. We're at a point of return. We're at a point where the people of God have decided or have been gifted by God the ability to return. And God is gracing them with 
that activity. They get to go home. But going home doesn't just mean, um, it doesn't just mean like, all right, we get everything we need. Remember, Jerusalem's in ruins. The Babylonians aren't nice. They didn't, they didn't put the city under siege and then whenever they gave up, they said, well, you know, this place could use a makeover. They, they tore it down, tore the temple down, tore the, the town's walls down. There is work to be done in the return. But even the work that the Israelites find to do within the return is grace of God. We sometimes get caught up in a particular argument in Christian um, life in which we try to decide what is needed for salvation. Have you heard this argument? Church of Christ, Baptist, Methodist, Assembly of God have been having this debate with each other, not typically within themselves, but with each other for a long time. They want to know what is necessary for salvation and i would uh, and the, the, they would say well we don't want and martin luther started this really he was a not uh not um you're probably you might not be you might be thinking of martin luther king jr that's not who you should be thinking of like two of you are thinking of lex luther that's not it either <laughs> you're an outsider um but Martin Luther, a, a German theologian who started the Reformation movement, watched the Catholic Church at the time where you could go and you could pay money for salvation. And he was not happy with that. There was, and you could pay money for your loved one's salvation. And they would say, hey, you, they, they, this was a, a, a funeral at the time. They would come in and they would say, oh, yeah, they're in purgatory right now. They're suffering. Um, but a little coin can change that. And they would say, okay, yes. And so when Martin Luther was arguing against works, he was saying Your, that what they call works isn't good. But when we talk about works, we're always a little nervous to say, you know, you know honestly, it, it's not what I do that saves me. And that's true. It is not what you do that saves you. But in cooperation with God, it is what you do that might save others. Our grace is twofold. The grace we find is twofold, just like they find in Israel. When they go home and they're going to rebuild the city, twofold. The fact that we get to go home in and of itself is a gift. But moreover, the fact that we get to go home and work on rebuilding what God wanted in the first place is grace. The fact that I get to show kindness to the world or God calls me to, into his service to show kindness and love and patience and forgiveness to the world, that's grace. What I get to do in Jesus is grace. And God knew that. 
Because his dream was big. His dream was big for kingdom. His dream was big for the world to see what God could do with people. Zechariah, that's where we'll be to this morning and in life group. Chapter 8 says, The word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is where we get some, Thus saith the Lord's. This is what the Lord Almighty says, I am very jealous of Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. But Zion is Jerusalem, and he's, he's Mount Zion. He's pointing to a place where they used to be and where they used to function as family. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. I'm going first. You can come with me. Kind of sounds like what Jesus did, huh? Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. And the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. Now, just because God is there, it's called that. Notice, he doesn't say, I'm going to bring you back and then it will be holy. The church does not make what God did holy. God makes it holy. We're along for the ride. We're on this holy ride that is guided and directed and, and, and purchased by God. I will return to Zion. And I will dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the, whole, the faithful city. Because God is there. Not because we're there. But because God is there. And the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. You know, their canes. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing. He's imagining old people just sitting down with canes and kids playing in the street, not because they've earned their escape. Escape from, from Babylon. From, actually, at this time, it's the Persians and the Medes. Because God is gracing them. But the city has to be built. The temple has to be put, to, put back together. It's going to take a while. It's going to take some work. But the work is grace. And the grace calls us to work. I don't think... Are they riding a roller coaster back there? That's what it sounds like. I, I don't think that we have to divide the two and pick a side. Like, I'm on grace team and I'm on works team. Because the fact, the fact that I get to be in the kingdom of God is, is grace. But when I'm in the kingdom of God, once I get to go home, when I get home, there's stuff for me to do. There's a life for me to live. The kingdom is bigger than just... I think the problem often is, is we focus solely on how do I get saved? When God's mission is bigger than that. How, does, how do we... And this should be our question. How do we bring heaven to earth? Like Jesus' prayer, remember? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? How do we live that out? It's going to take a lot of grace from God. And that grace from God is going to have to move me. The city, the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
It may seem marvelous to the remnant of Israel, of the, the people that remain at this time. But will it seem marvelous to me? Declares the Lord Almighty. Okay, that's not a, a question. Uh, the, the, the other languages, we actually have it too. We have ways of doing this where we'll ask a question with an assumed answer. Like, I don't know, I don't know um, men, if you've ever walked out of the bathroom with, like, ready to go and heard someone say, are you going to wear that? The answer to that question is no. <laughs> All the time. Now, we sort of just have it, just it's understood Will you take the trash out? The answer to that question is yes. Understood. These aren't not rhetorical questions. These are like, well, you know what? I will think about it and get back to you later. It's a question with an answer built in. He says it may seem marvelous to the people who are here. It may seem that way. But it will, basically, we probably could translate this. It will not seem marvelous to me. They have a little word they throw in to let you know. If the answer is negative or positive, that'd be really helpful to most early marriages, wouldn't it? But the answer here is obviously, no, it's not going to seem marvelous to me. God, y'all are going to be blown away by what God does, but God is marvelous. He knows what he's doing. We, last week, we talked about the will of God and people getting so nervous that they've got to stay on the path. Somehow, God has ordained my life. And if I don't stay on the right path, then God... Uh, but the, my argument to that has always been, God's never going to see anything you do and go, oh, no, I didn't... Uh, well, I don't know what to do now. God's always been good at working with people who make their own decisions. God is big like that god is 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 gracious like that that you get to make your decisions and then god can work with it god is powerful in our lives not a dictator over our lives but the grace of god that sends us home that puts us back in the place where we belong calls us to action. And God says, this is not going to be surprising to me. You get that. You're going to be blown away by it. But no, God is not blown away by it. Sometimes we act like God should be blown away by it. Do you hear it in our prayers when we say, oh, Lord, we are awful, horrible, stinky people. And we know that there is no way that you would ever want anybody like us. But then for some reason you took us. God loves you unconditionally god loves you powerfully like you 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 can't imagine how much god loves you and so when you go to god and you say god i'm you know i know we both know i'm worthless what are you doing you're not worthless i created you i redeemed you i sent my son to die for you this isn't marvelous to me it may seem marvelous to you but i've I know what I'm doing, God says. It is not marvelous 
to God. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will save my people from the countries of the east and west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. Notice the, the balance of what is necessary. They will be my people, period. Notice he doesn't say they will be my perfect and faithful people. They're not going to be that. But God will be faithful to us. Now he goes on, and we'll talk about this in life group. Um, but he goes on to say, so make sure your hands are ready. The kingdom of God is coming. Make sure your hands are ready. Because God doesn't just save us for our hearts and our souls. He saves us for our minds and our hands and our mouths. He's calling us to something bigger. And notice, they will be my people. Them, the community. Where people are following God and we're following people who are following God. Have you ever, you're probably like me, um, that you like see a group of people, and typically it's like teenagers, like just standing in a circle, and you think, that's a boring conga line. You know, you think that? We all think that. But, am I alone? Those are boring conga lines. I don't know if you know what a conga line is, but a conga line is uh, y'all Church of Christ. It's like where you just walk casually to music. Um, someone call it dancing. We, but we don't. And so you, you, you got somebody in front of you, and then you got somebody behind you, and the person, and you just, you just walk around the room. It's the best kind of dancing. You don't have to figure out what to do. The person in front of you knows what to do. And you have to do what they're doing so that the person behind you can do what they're doing. And so on and so forth. Sometimes I look at churches and I think they're not doing the conga properly. And the reason they're not doing the conga properly is they're all just standing around doing their own thing. Instead of one person following the leader and the next person following the next person and the next person following the next person. We have to rely on each other as a community because there are people in this room who are closer to Jesus than I am and I'm following them as they follow Christ. But also, do you know what conga lines never are? Sad. You never have like a funeral conga. You kind of do, but no one's, whenever they do view the body, but that's different. It's not an official conga. You never have a depressing conga. It is always a joyful occasion. And here's what's crazy. For no reason. There's not a great reason. You're just following each other happily. And that's what the community is for. We, we have to follow each other. There's times where you're going to be having a good day and I need to follow you because you're thinking about it clearly. And I'm not. And I need to just be able to follow somebody. 
there's, there are going to be times where you're going to need the community to show you where to walk and how to walk there joyfully. And you, you're just going to get to go. But when churches just all sort of stand around and do their own thing and they're focused on their own way of doing things, they're focused on their own salvation, how do I get me saved instead of how do I bring this kingdom here? How do we let all heaven break loose? How do we, how do we let God rule this place? And then we've got to start thinking seriously about what God is going to do for the community and how we are going to be faithful to the faithful God. They had a, we had a ladies' day yesterday. Was that yesterday? Oh, wow. Yesterday was long. We had a ladies' day yesterday. And there was a... Um, basically, they were talking, talking about what ministries we have, how to get involved in them, what that looks like once you do. And it emphasizes for me that this church is not a country club. It's a team. That we need you to step up and know your role and do your thing, even though it is daunting. We need you to volunteer. We need you to be a part. Not because going to church makes you holy. But being with the church helps you follow Jesus. The grace that we find from God, the relationships that we have with each other, in that grace produce a work, produce a, an activity that is based on the grace of God itself. And so if you say, today, today, I'm giving my life to Jesus today, guess what you're doing? You're giving your life to Jesus. It doesn't just come with a renewed city, renewed community. It comes where I've, I've got I've to get my hands ready. Because God's going to do something spectacular with you. And it may surprise you, but it will not surprise God. God is ready to do it in you, for you, with you today. So you, you, give, you, you say, I'm in with Jesus. You are literally, with the way we do it, in with Jesus. There's, there's this, you are baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. And we say we raised to walk in newness of life. That's not just Jesus now in you. That's you in Jesus. That's not just Jesus saving you, although that, that happens. It's not just Jesus forgiving you. It's you saying, I'm on that team. My hands are ready. A couple of people came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. But first, he said, they said, I've got to have a funeral my uh my father um, needs to be buried. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. It's not a good church growth tactic. Someone comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he says, 
Um, well, come on. But first, I don't have anywhere to sleep. This ain't comfortable. A man comes to Jesus and said, Jesus, I've done everything. What can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, sell everything. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me. And the man went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. Jesus consistently discouraged people from following himself because it was, it's so hard to do. And if your heart and hands are ready, then come with it. And Jesus will change you, make you better. But you won't be just sitting idly, resting on the laurels of salvation. You are called into kingdom, into community, into some would say conga, following others who are following Jesus joyfully. So if, if you need anything this morning, if you want to give your life, your heart, your hands to Jesus, or if you gave that up a long time ago, you want to come back, please come forward while we stand and sing.